So we have a tendency to be a little bit safer when it comes to products that are going to have a really long lifespan, like a metal roof, for example, long warranty, long lifespan, right? Um, as opposed to maybe the paint color that you're going to paint your front door. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. Join us as we explore an industry that is constantly evolving with new products, designs, practices, and technologies. From builders to remodelers to executives, as well as oftentimes those with outside perspective, each episode of Construction Disruption meets with forward thinkers, as well as other in-the-know folks who want to share their unique insights. Construction Disruption is created and sponsored by Isaiah Industries, a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries. Our co-host is our sales manager, Seth Eckerman. Creative Director Ryan Bell and Content Creator Ethan Young are behind the scenes doing our production work. Well, so I have to tell you, Seth, I had to go to the dentist the other day. Remember when I was out of the office? Mm -hmm. Had to go to the dentist. And, you know, I go to the dentist pretty regularly. And generally speaking, I don't ever have any issues. But I unfortunately had three cavities. So that was unlike me. And I had to ask the dentist, I said, well, why would I suddenly have, you know, at the advanced age of 126, (laughs) why would I suddenly have cavities? And he said, well, has anything changed in your diet? Is there anything different you're doing or something? I said, well, I got to be honest. My wife and I, you know, we enjoy cooking. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of gotten hooked on hollandaise sauce. We put it on everything, you know, not just, we we just have really gotten this hankering. We love hollandaise sauce. And the dentist said, oh, he said, well, I understand. He said, I've got the answer for that. He said, I've I've got this tiny little chrome plate I'm going to insert between a couple of your teeth, and that will take care of your problems. He said, a chrome plate? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, it'll take care of your problems because everyone knows There's no plate like chrome for the hollandaise. (laughs) Okay, there's my joke for the day. Hey, I got a smile out of Ethan over here. You're still trying to figure that one out, aren't you? (laughs) Okay, well, I'll have to, so I have to give you one more then, right? Okay, since that one didn't, yeah, well, we're we're working on it. Okay, so you're familiar with Gandhi. I am, yes. Okay, everyone knows who Gandhi is. Okay, so Gandhi, as we know, um, was a rather small, frail man. Um, he also, interestingly, I mean, he, he didn't wear shoes most of the time, so he, and he walked a lot. Mm-hmm. So that was his main mode of transportation was walking. So he ended up with rather large calluses on his, on his feet. Um, you know, of course, we also know Gandhi was a, a mystic. I mean, you know, he was kind of, that's what we'd call him. Well, the interesting thing was a lot of you things you may not know about Gandhi is he also was known as having perpetual bad breath. And they think it was because of his diet. Hence, this made him a super calloused, fragile mystic hexed by halitosis. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and the get started. The punny wordplay is, of course, your humor of a specialty. This is me. Anyway, I've, I've driven my son nuts for 23 <laughs> years. 
my wife puts up with it. Anyway, today I know we've got a great episode here of Construction Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Kiki Redhead, the Global CMF, which I had to look that up. It stands for Color, Material, and Finish, I hope, um, and Trend Manager for Sherwin-Williams International or Sherwin-Williams Industrial and Performance Coatings. Uh, Sherwin-Williams, of course, is a very uh, proud supplier. I mean, someone that we're proud to have as a supplier for our products. Um, But based in Minneapolis, Kiki collaborates with industrial design, manufacturing, and architectural customers on coatings development and trends. In addition to her 20 years of visionary CMF expertise, which includes owning global color and trend agency Color Center from 2008 to 2018, Kiki holds a master's degree in trends forecasting from the Polymoda International Institute of Fashion Design and Marketing based in Florence, Italy. She is known as an international powerhouse desired for her tri-level trend forecasting methodology implementation and distillation of mega, macro, and micro trends, which she teaches through executive retreats. A longtime member of the Color Marketing Group, Kiki currently sits on the board of directors and is co-chair of the Future Thinking Committee, holding a seat on the Learning Forum's Foresight Council, She converses regularly with strategic futurists from top global companies and national agencies. She is known as a chief color guru, fashionista of the future, trend sleuth, and cultivator of culture. Kiki, welcome very much to Construction Disruption. That's an incredible bio and pedigree that you have. And again, we're very excited to have you as our guest. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I'm so Happy to be here. It's my pleasure. And uh, thank you for the wonderful introduction. Oh, it was good She stuff. did not thank you for the jokes, but oh. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the jokes were great. <laughs> I enjoyed them very much. They, they were free. Um, so I have to ask you to tell us a bit about how you got to where you are today. Um, as I look at your wealth of experience and all that you've done and, and all the things you've been involved with, um, I, I actually see a transition in your career path from fashion and, and design into what seems to be more industrial things in your current uh, role as Sean Williams. Um, curious, can you go back and tell us how your interest in all of this was inspired and grown and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so it's a, it is a really unique uh, path that I took. I actually started in the interior design world. So my, my undergraduate degree is in interior design and marketing. Um, and just so happened that I worked with a contractor uh, when I was doing my interior design apprenticeship. And, you know, I had always had this passion for color and for putting colors together. In fact, when I was five years old, my parents were building a new house. My grandpa was building it. He was a well-known residential builder here in Minnesota um, for his whole career. Um, And my mom and dad were building this house. And my mom decided she was going to allow me to pick out all of the colors and the materials and the finishes for my new bedroom. Wow. Yeah. At, you know, five years old. Good stuff. So, this was, of course, the early 80s. And you can 
I'll already probably conjure up colors that you're thinking of <laughs> that were popular in the early 80s, right? So we had the opportunity to look through uh, wallpaper books and at carpet samples. And I chose all these random things. And at first, my mom was very confused about how all of this was going to go together. <laughs> And then once she put all the pieces together, I had picked out this white wallpaper with little pink flowers with green leaves, white eyelet lace uh, for all of the curtain draperies, sure. and a white eyelet lace bedspread. I picked out white furniture with gold painted trim and gold drawer handles, and then I picked out Booger green carpet. <laughs> but the, when it all came together, my mom noticed that that little green leaf of kind of this chartreuse green in that wallpaper matched that carpet almost perfectly. Wow. And I think, you know, it was something innate that I had in me. I think also being around the residential construction industry all growing up, between my grandpa and my uncles, um, that influence, I got to see a lot of places being built and, you know, interior finishes and colors being picked out by uh, the homeowners or other designers. So I think that was a really big influence on me growing up. And so that's why I went to interior design school. But I can tell you what I learned right away is that I really don't like drafting floor plans. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was doing my interior design apprenticeship with my uncle's construction firm, I quickly saw that my niche area was in that picking out of colors. And that's the part of what I enjoyed working with customers on. And I thought about it and said, wow, wouldn't it be a dream to get to be the person who names paint colors as a career. Two years later, I was working with Sherwin-Williams in their consumer brands group on the Dutch Boy paint line. And that's exactly what I was getting to do, put together color collections. I started to learn about the color trends process as it related to consumer paint and residential house paint, both for interiors and exteriors. And, um, you know, I saw the opportunity to expand my knowledge in outside of the interior design world because I started thinking about, well, there's someone that is working at this window manufacturing company and they're designing these windows and they're picking out the colors that I have to choose from. Oh, and wow. there's someone working at that furniture company, at that faucet company at that siding company that's putting together these color collections of the colors that, you know, the customers that homeowners are choosing. How can I get more involved and understand the product development and the product design side of specifying colors for application in manufacturing? So when I opened up uh, Color Couture, my um, global color trend and trend agency, um, in 2008, after I had left uh, Sherwin-Williams, the first go-around there, <laughs> um, I wanted to take on clients that were really based in 
a slew of different industries to really understand how color is chosen and how consumers' color preferences change depending on the products that they're buying, whether they're buying a car, whether they're buying a, a new sweater, um, whether they're buying um, carpet for their home. So really having the opportunity to understand how those decision-making processes and color preferences are different across industries. And so I really had the opportunity to, that, to do that. And that is where I really started leading down into this uh, developing color for manufacturing and getting more into the industrial side of color. And that's all really thanks to a lot of my clients who gave me the opportunity to do that with their products. Wow. And kudos to your parents for creating that uh, creative opportunity early on. That's at the trajectory for all of it. So it's very cool. I have to say, though, as you described your bedroom wallpaper and the bedspread and the curtains, um, I really, you described my wife's dress to our prom in 1982. <laughs> I, 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 now wife's girlfriend then. Uh, that was her dress. It had the little lace. It had the little flower print on an overall white dress. And yeah, you described her dress. So that's a good memory for me, actually. That was 1982, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Exactly was 1982. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. Yep, that was her dress. That was her dress. I got pictures of it, no doubt. Standing in front of the family fireplace. I mean, that was where we took prom pictures in 1982. We didn't, didn't go to parks or anything. We stood in front of the family fireplace. So you touched on something there where you talked about the wide variety of you know, different types of, of elements and areas of a building that you've touched from interior to exterior to furniture to. So I'm curious, I mean, what, how, do, how do trends in those different areas, do, does one area of the home influence another or do they tend to shift together? I'm just kind of curious how that happens. I've always wondered. Yeah, you know, it's, it's both, to be honest with you. Um, one does definitely influence the other, but they do both have a tendency to shift together. Um, the key is really understanding the, the product life cycle uh, and the lifespan. So we have a tendency to be a little bit safer when it comes to products that are going to have a really long lifespan, hmm. um, like a metal roof, for example, long warranty, long lifespan, Right. Um, as opposed to maybe the paint color that you're going to paint your front door. Sure. You can paint your front door every single weekend if you want to. Right. You're probably not going to change the color of your roof every other weekend. I never thought of, thought of it quite that way. Great, great. Yeah, so we see that um, we have a tendency to look for trends that are going to have longer lifespans and longer life cycles to specify and apply to those products that are going to have a similar lifespan. Um, of course, sometimes the product outlives the color trend um, or the finish trend. And you can see a home that was built in the 90s, the, you know, the fascia still looks wonderful um, in con its condition, but maybe the, the color has cycled out. Sure. Um, and that that certainly is a major consideration of something that forecasters and color designers think about um, as 
one of the most important elements when choosing a palette of colors for manufacturing um, that's different than, say, that uh, planter that's going to sit in, next to your front door um, or the color of your mailbox. Um, those other elements have the opportunity to be a little bit more um, cyclical. Um, and you can put a color that maybe is only going to have a lifespan of one year or three years or five years on some of those smaller accent pieces um, where you're investing, um, most likely financially investing in something with a long lifespan, then you're going to want to, I don't want to say necessarily be more cautious, but you're going to want to find those colors that you know are going to be able to have longevity. Yeah. It's it's interesting. My wife and I did some decorating out on our back porch this summer, and you know we generally chose fairly conservative colors, but we did have a splash of a really bright bright teal. And you know we love that color right now, but yeah, I'm looking. I'm saying I wouldn't want to be married to this color. I know for the next twenty years, so we just used it on some bright accents. So, um, very interesting stuff. So I'm I'm you know what do you love most about what you do and um. What do you see as the impact of your work? Well, what I love most is working with our customers, um, the architects and the OEMs. Um, and I really love having the opportunity to be able to help them curate color collections that, that they are excited to share with their customers. So in the case of the OEMs, right, they're most likely showing those to um, architects or designers or um, engineers. Um, and then on the side of the architect, they're putting together and specifying, you know, for uh, their customers that might be in residential, a homeowner, but it could be commercial, um, light commercial, or it could be monumental. They could be building a, a giant skyscraper, 110 mm -hmm. stories tall. So what I love the most is definitely getting to help to curate those color collections that are going to drive color selections for many different industries and getting to see what the end result is and how all of those colors came together on a car, on a house, um, on an appliance, you know. So there's a lot of different industries that we get to touch as well. And that's what I love is Every single day, I'm working with, you know, a different industry, a different product. You know, one day I'm working with medical device and designing, helping to design and apply color to a new mammogram machine. The next day I'm, you know, working on, uh, with a window company. Mm -hmm. And the next day, you know, I'm um, working with an appliance company. The next day I'm working with um, a long haul trucker. Um, a company that builds semi-trucks and helping them create comfortable cabs for their, their drivers to, you know, basically live in, make this cab feel more like a home. Uh, so it is, it's, it's really rewarding that way. And that's what I like. And the fact that it has impact on people's daily lives, because there's this user experience element. It's not just fabulous to look at whatever the product might be, but it's the way that we interact with it. And knowing that color makes people so happy, um, especially when you get it right, uh, that, you know, 
that's rewarding. Very cool. In the chit chat before we started recording today, you mentioned that it's been a long week of, you know, working with some clients on custom color collaboration and development. What does that process look like? How do you how do you lead someone through that? Yeah, so here in Minneapolis, we have um, a center called the Sherman Williams Design House, um, and our industrial, our coil, um, our high performance flooring customers, building products customers um, come in to collaborate with us um, through a myriad of different um, programs and workshops that we offer, and we get to gather together face-to-face finally again, which is wonderful. It is a difficult task to do color development and color design virtually. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, And certainly isn't as efficient either. We're fortunate because right across the street from our design house is our labs. So all of our lab facilities with our a lot of our R&D teams are right across the street. So when we conjure up a color and we have this vision of a new color in our minds with our customer, we can be the translator from design speak. For example, we've curated this color of this fantastic blue with a mica in it, and it's going to be a low gloss, like 10 to 15 gloss. The designer and the marketing teams and from our customers are coming up with all these beautiful visionary uh, conceptual type words, very designer-esque type words to describe this blue. But the chemist wants to know, you know, what's the pigment I'm using? Um, what color mica? What type of mica? What size of mica? How much? What is the percentage in the formulation? You know, when the designer says, um, we're looking for a low gloss, well, what does that mean to a chemist? You know, so we have to then get it down into those measurements of we're specifically talking about like a 10 to 15 gloss here, not a 25 gloss, not a three to five gloss. This is the gloss level we're looking for. So I work kind of as that translator between design speak and technical speak, and I can help put that into perspective for the chemists so they can go back to their bench they can uh, do their process um, to mix the color, develop the color. Sometimes if we have a actual physical swatch of the color, like a, as a target, then they'll have something visual that they can look at as well. And they'll put that through um, their process. So, of course, the powder coating process versus the coil or versus extrusion or versus other types of liquid coatings. Um, each of those R&D processes is a little bit different. Each lab process is a little bit different. But then once they're done, they'll come back over to the design house with a selection of one, three, five options for us. And then we'll, as a team, all look at those together with our customer. And we'll collaborate together on you know, maybe making adjustments or doing little shifts or maybe, you know, continuing to try other little things. Maybe we used a blue mica and in the blue color, it just turned too bright blue. So we want to tone that down. We actually want that blue to shift a little bit green. So we're going to have that chemist go back 
and swap out that blue mica for a green mica and keep the blue base, but bring in the blue, the green mica and try that. And then we continue that process until we get the color exactly where we want it and where the customer says, check approved. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to add this to our, you know, our, our line. Very cool. So I have to ask, what happens if you have a customer or client and they're madly in love with something and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know about this? Oh, I'm brutally honest. <laughs> Good for you. Good for um, you. It's important, right? It, it might be a fabulous color. It might be the absolute wrong color for their product. Um, so we have to be really um, considerate of that. Um, we're really fortunate in Sherwin because we have an amazing design ecosystem internally. We have a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I'm not the only Kiki, well, with the name Kiki I am, but um, but there are you know many other color experts that we have that work in other areas of our organization. And we all get together um, at least once a month, sometimes more often than that, to report back to each other and talk about the different projects that we're working on so that we can even collaborate. So I can collaborate with our our um, house paint group um, and the stores team. I can collaborate with our industrial wood team who does wood finishes for kitchen cabinets and wood flooring and wood furniture and wood exterior building products. And so I can understand what are the really popular wood finishes for, you know, kitchen cabinetry right now. And we can all stay up on exactly what's happening in all of these other different coatings areas, which is very fortunate uh, for us and makes Sherwin very unique in that way. Um, And the fact that we have fantastic communication uh, with our other groups. We don't work in silos at Sherwin-Williams. We all work together as one Sherwin team, which is really important to us. So it's it's interesting as I think about it, you know, when you just touched on something about color, you talked about, you know, color. Now, when I think about paint finishes as someone in the building products industry, my thought is always about performance and chemistry and, and life expectancy and those types of things. But you really just reminded me of the fact that for the consumer, that stuff doesn't really mean anything. It's color that they're looking for and color that they care about. As you think about and and your work with Sherwin Williams, and you guys are fantastic and state of the art. And I know you had worked on some things for us a couple of years ago where you took some of our colors and showed us what would complement those on a home. And it's absolutely beautiful. And we've used those as examples to our customers a lot. But, you know, you think about the exterior of a home where you touched on it earlier, that durability is more important. Are there certain limitations you end up with when you're trying to um, work toward a more durable finish versus perhaps an interior finish? Oh, absolutely. Pigments have, you know, certain limitations, especially with fading color fastness, right? So we're always looking to have the most high-performing uh, pigments that we can have. And of course we do it a lot of testing. Um, we have a huge test fence, um, in, uh, Southern Florida. Sure. That is a key element of really understanding 
um, how important it is for our colors to pass all of the rigorous um, testing outside. Um, and of course, our testing facilities are indoor weatherometers, salt and fog and humidity machines, you know, where we simulate different conditions um, are, are also very important, not just for the, the pigments and the color, but uh, for the resins and the polymers and all the other um, aspects of the coating. Not my area of expertise. I, um, the chemist can certainly speak to that in, uh, much more um, educationally, but um, I, I know an, a, just enough to be able to at least provide uh, a brief answer to that. Well, you guys do a fantastic job, I know, of coming up with whatever your clients need. Uh, there have to be times, though, where you're probably having your mind's eye the color that you want for, and the chemist has to come back and say, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to get you the durability that you need in that particular color. And, you know, then that's where collaboration starts again, I suppose, and you figure out, okay, well, where can we find the and in all of this? Where can we still find something that's going to work out? Absolutely. That's yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. Hmm. Sometimes it's trial and error. Sure. Good stuff. And, and yeah, it's been a few years. You know, I, I've, I've worked in more in recent years, more with test fence weatherization. But, you know, years ago, I remember getting a lot of advanced weatherized panels and things as we looked at different colors and coatings and different things. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. So I, I had a friend of mine who was an artist once tell me that, She'll see trends and design and color um, that, you know, maybe something that she's been led in a certain way and she's suddenly finding that she, she's an, uh, an artist, she, she paints, and she'll suddenly find I'm painting with similar colors and designs. And all of a sudden I'll be talking with a friend halfway across the world and find out that right at that time they are used, experimenting with and working with the exact same colors or, or designs or different things. So she's like, somehow I think this stuff travels through the air or the water. Um, curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, how could that be? I mean, what prompts those trends or those color trends? What are the influencers that might lead two people on opposite sides of the world to suddenly find out they're working in the same direction? Oh yeah, this happens all the time. Um, and it's, it's one of those kind of connect the dots, um, sort of examples that you just gave. Trends start off typically at a very global mega level with really complex, uh, drivers that are kind of being built as this catalyst to where are we going next? And these really big drivers are things like the environment. Environment, extremely complex. We can distill the environment, the topic of environment, down to several different macro trends. Um, and those macro trends then are the trends that are going to more individually impact certain generations, demographics, uh, products, technology, manufacturing, um, and just people, everyday people. And the way that the people are going to interact with and understand those macro trends um, is usually 
being driven by this bigger story. Hmm. Um, that bigger story is often being told through pop culture, uh, news, um, research in different um, areas like medical research or um, environmental research or um, technology research. And those items that start to get published, that start to become talked about um, in different communities, then that spreads. Now, obviously, before the internet and the introduction of the internet and being able to do these really awesome virtual podcasts um, mm -hmm. together while not having to fly somewhere, right? Um, but our ability now to be able to connect, interact, and spread information so quickly um, has accelerated the opportunities that we have to connect the dots of trends from the mega to the macro all around the world. And the macro level trends are really the ones that stop people in their tracks and say, what can I do in the next five or 10 years that is going to have an impact on this very important mega trend? What is something that individually I can do in the next five to 10 years that could be a positive impact on the environment? What is something that I could do in the next five to 10 years that would be a positive impact on healthcare, right? So what is the, what are the um, global big catalysts that are important to me? I'm gonna rifle through everything. Obviously there's gonna be some big trends that aren't gonna fit in my industry, aren't gonna fit with my product, aren't gonna fit with my customers. Um, but I'm going to pluck out specifically the ones that are going to impact um, my customers. So then I can say, you know, is it me individually? Is it me as a company? Is it me as a as the products that my customers are are uh, manufacturing, designing, selling? Um, and then that's where we distill down into the micro, and that's where we start to say. How can technology in the next five to 10 years impact the future of color? Hmm. How can the environment in the next five to 10 years impact um, color or how can color have an impact on the environment? So those are the types of things that get shared through these trend reports that all a lot of different companies um create, write, develop, and present um, out to their customers. Obviously, at Sherwin, we do several different types of trend forecasts. So um, we have a trend forecast for house paint that's usually forecasted only about 18, 24 months out into the future. So if you're going to paint your bedroom, you're you know right on trend. Um, but on my side of the business with industrial performance coatings, we're looking five years, 10 years sure. ahead. So. Very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned Sherwin is publishing these trend reports, which is really helpful. I'm going to go search them out. What are, what are some other sources you're always sure to catch when something new is being uh, published? 
As far as color trends go, I, I obviously the color marketing group. Um, I'm a longtime member of the organization and done several stints on the board and been um, co-chair and chair of several of the committees. Some committees don't even exist anymore. So <laughs> sometimes they actually create committees just so I can volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the organization is very unique because it's the only global nonprofit organization of color experts from every industry hmm. from all around the world. And we get together and workshop colors, you know, one year, three year, five year, 10 years. Some in our future thinking, which I'm the co-chair of right now, that committee. Uh, we're talking about things that are happening 2030, 2050, and beyond um, with the future of color. So those reports are really important uh, to us once all of the workshops are completed and the reports are all steered, consolidated, and created. Um, those are those are really important to us. And in order to get those reports, you have to be a member of the organization. So you have to you know, pay your dues. You have to um, participate, uh, participating because the more people that participate, uh, the more color experts that we have that are sharing um, information with each other and collaborating together in these workshops, uh, the better information that we will output, uh, the more accurate we can be in our forecasts. Um, so that's a, a really important organization. It's very important for us to get those forecasts, bring those back into Sherwin-Williams and then say, okay, where do we see, how can we connect the dots from what we're seeing at Sherwin to what all of the other color professionals around the world are hmm. seeing in their industries? Um, so we, we, we very much... Um, that is a very quality report for us. We also look to a lot of our suppliers, the pigment suppliers, the special effect suppliers, like the mica suppliers or the aluminum flake suppliers. We look to a lot of those uh, because, you know, they were going to be adding a lot of their products into our product. Um, so we would, we want to know from them where they see the future specifically in their product area. Um, so we, we, we reference a lot of those as well. Um, but the the other thing, too, is there's a lot of really good subscription services out there uh, that we look to um, that we, you know, have seats uh, within um, on those subscription services that uh, shares a lot more than just the color trends with us. So it's a great place for us to be able to go to get more of the macro level trends, like what's going to happen in the next five years with um, gender, what, you know, what's going to happen in the next five years with politics, what's going to happen in the next five years with, um, with, you know, climate, um, what's going to happen with manufacturing steel in the next five years, right? Look to the steel industry. They write forecasts, um, you know, need to know what's going to happen with uh, global supply chain, Look to those. So we resource uh, a lot of different organizations to look for their forecasts as well. It's it's a massive amount of pulling in information and weeding through all of that information. We actually call it trend management. And it in the forecasting process, I have a six-step 
forecasting process that I've developed um, that I have brought with me back into Sherwin-Williams that we use at the design house and on my forecasting team. And trend management, the very first step before you can even start research is just to manage all of the information that you bring in before you can even start the reading of the information, the researching through the information, um, because it is a lot to to deal with. Yeah, that sounds kind of exhausting just hearing you go through all of that. That's incredible. And you, you know, and yet to the consumer, it's just a color, but what an impact that color could have because of all that that you're putting into it. So, so I know that visualizers have become pretty common in, especially in home renovation, interior and exterior. People can load a picture of their house and put different colors on it, different products. Um, Kind of curious, what do you think of that technology and the impact it's had? And are there any rumblings you're hearing of advances in that technology coming up? Yeah, there's um, always engineers and um, computer scientists that are continuing to work on advancements to be able to more accurately digitally portray a color. Um, it is uh, one of those pain points that is difficult in our industry uh, because physical color and digital color are two completely different animals. But those visualizers are fantastic tools, especially for the homeowner. Sure. Um, you know, when they're working on a residential project, because it is also hard to visualize a little one by one or three by three or six by six, even, you know, square of color that's going to be on a thousand square feet of siding. Right. Um, how, how is that going to translate the, the understanding the scale of that um, is really important. So, you know, I'm on both sides of the fence really with this one because um, I think it's a fantastic tool. Um, but uh, on the other side of the fence, um, there's a lot of room for improvement as it relates to digitally representing uh, color uh, truthfully. Of course, we always put disclaimers and everything. Everybody has their disclaimers on their visualizers um, to uh, make sure that they are trying out these colors um, and ordering physical samples of these colors. Sure. Um, but they definitely serve their purpose. And, and for most people, it's a positive experience. I know we're uh, upgrading our visualizer on our websites right now to uh, the future technology has a little bit of AI in it. One of the challenges we've always seen for visualization of roofs is the consumer has to sit there and mask all the corner points and then figure out what angle the roof is going to be at based upon the angle of the picture and the angle of the house and everything. And so our new one will actually, the AI in it will actually do that automatically and, you know, will progressively get better over time as it kind of learns things. So uh, we're, we're, we're excited to be announcing that. So I saw where Sherwin-Williams um, recently announced their 2022 Color of the Year. 
and it was Evergreen Fog. It was kind of funny. I think it was on LinkedIn a couple of weeks before the announcement. I saw someone had posted, I think, maybe the six or eight finalist colors. And, um, you know, they were challenging everyone. And I had looked at it and said, it's got to be Evergreen Fog. And I don't know. It was just a lucky guess, probably. I'd like <laughs> to say I'm some expert like you, but I'm not. But I'm curious, can you describe that color a little bit for our listeners and viewers and um, tell us maybe some about what considerations went into choosing that color um, and what you see an impact, what you see as being the impact of a pronouncement like that of color of the year? I mean, what what does that go on to influence? And how long ago would that color have been chosen? It sounded like it was just chosen this week, but I'm guessing not. No, we usually um, make our color of the year choice um, earlier on in, in, in the year during our forecasting process. So we have an internal council at uh, Sherwin, and we get together and come up with the color mix, um, which is the entire forecast for our um, stores group um, for residential um, interiors and exteriors. And those um, during that uh, workshop, uh, we will narrow usually narrow down and have one favorite and a few backup colors. And then um, we work through those to make the final decision. But uh, color of the year, evergreen fog, it is, um, I I think it's a really exciting color for us. The last two years, um, we've had um, really classic, um, very easily specifiable colors between the the naval blue and uh, urbane bronze, which is 2021 color of the year. Okay. And we're shifting a little bit more chromatic. So there's a little bit more color. We were um, pretty classic and, you know, navy can certainly be a neutral um, and urbane bronze, a dark gray bronze, definitely also more neutral feeling where with evergreen fog, we are bringing in that element of the undertone of green. It's still a very subtle color. There's still a lot of gray in the hue, um, but it's a nice mid-range tone. And it just feels very natural and also very nurturing and very comforting. Um, so there's this element of, you know, everybody having spent a lot of time at home uh, recently and wanting to feel very comfortable kind of in themselves and um, in their home and with their family. And the element of comfort and nostalgia has become really important to people this year. Uh, Not only that, but uh, one of the activities that was really important that, you know, our our, um, healthcare workers and our our politicians and everyone was recommending was to spend more time outside in nature. It's healthier to be out in nature. So all of those elements of the trees and the grasses and all of those um, kind of rebirths, regrowth type colors um, have found themselves into this really uh, communicable palette of um, comfort colors. And so that's where we really see evergreen fog sitting. Uh, it's, it's, it has a very important relationship with the landscape. And 
on the exterior, uh, we like to create colors that marry that landscape, that blend in, that fit. And when we are looking at um, evergreen fog, it really does that. In architecture and interior design, there are some big buzzwords right now like biophilia, biomimicry, bringing, uh, bringing nature uh, back outdoors. Um, and so those types of elements, we hear the architects and the interior designers talking about day after day after day after day. I want to mimic nature. I want the exterior to mimic the nature and mimic the landscape that's around it. Um, and Evergreen Fod hits home with that. And if you have the opportunity to check out the um, little Evergreen Fog video that's on the Sherwin-Williams website, it kind of takes you through this whole story of that nurture and nature element of the color. Well, I have to admit, when I saw the color and, you know, I saw it along with the other, I guess, finalists, um, there was just something about that color that just made you say, huh. I mean, it was just a very comforting, really, really neat color. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Biophilia, isn't that the name of a song? Biophilia? No, I, don't, I got something. <laughs> I wrote both of those down. I, <laughs> I got to check these out, though. Thank you. Um, curious, can you share some of your personal philosophies um, regarding color and design and the impact it has on occupants or, you know, just just some personal thoughts you have on that. You know, maybe this harkens back to your interior design days, but curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, philosophies. Hmm. Um, you know, there was always this 60-30-10 rule that we were taught um, in design school uh, when it comes to color, 60% one color, 30% another color, 10% another color. Okay. And the 10% color is most often going to be your uh, pop color or something along those lines. This is my um, bright teal on my back porch. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I've learned that uh, my philosophy turned into um, don't listen to any of the rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, break the rules when you need to. Um, there are a lot of color schemes where there are going to be way more than just three colors, um, especially if you're talking about a natural stone or brick um, on an exterior, for example, if you're talking about uh, flooring that has uh, a, a stone look or wood grain that has, you know, 20 or 30 different shades of maple, um, you know, in that grain, um, that that my philosophy, I guess, has kind of been to um, to look beyond the rules. Um, and, and I do that a lot uh, with uh the customer projects that we have um, is to help to try to push the boundaries a little bit um, that move the needle, that grab the customer's attention, uh, that might say, well, wow, look at that color. We're never going to spec that color, but it grabbed their attention enough to your product line. And sure, maybe they ended up on your color card back over in the grays and the blacks and the beiges, but they saw that, you know, bright metallic copper color and it grabbed them. Um, so 
yeah, push the boundaries. That's definitely one of my philosophies. That's excellent. Good stuff. So it feels like in the last five years, um, we've seen a major shift in color palettes, um, you know, from browns and what I used to call red tones, red metal looks and things really much more towards silver, white, gray, and black. And I know that if I hear I want a black metal roof one time a day, I hear it 10 times a day. I mean, it's just, that's the direction. And, and it, it almost feels like, and, and these new color designs and, and color palettes, when you see them on a home, they just really pop and they look so fresh and, and so modern. And it almost makes me feel sad when I see a house that has the old brown and red tones from a few years ago. But um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, I mean, Certainly, we feel that when you do something with colors to bring into the more trending colors, um, you increase the value of the home. Is is that your feeling as well? I mean, does that increase the desirability and value of, of properties? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm not a real estate expert by any means, um, but even just from my own uh, browsing of the, you know, Zillow's and the MLS and all of those like, um, for sale house apps. Um, we are definitely drawn more to those that have fantastic curb appeal and that is fresh, updated curb appeal. Um, and, uh, they always seem to have the, you know, 10 or 15 or $50,000 higher <laughs> price tag. Uh, than the neighbor who who hasn't done the update. Um, and again, I think, well, we talked about this a little bit earlier because sometimes it's it's not the substrate or it's not the actual product itself that's outdated, but that it's the color or the, even the finish sometimes um, where glossy, shiny may have been popular for a few years. And you can see that, that life cycle, that, that, time stamped almost on the product. And you could say, you know, this was 1982. <laughs> this was, you know, the the 1990s or the 1970s or the 2005s um, and identify that pretty easily, which gives the impression then that the interior of the home is probably also not going to be updated um, if the exterior of the home hasn't been. So it gives an impression right at the front door of if I'm looking at a 1990s exterior, I'm probably going to see 1990s cabinets, 1990s appliances, 1990s, you know, uh, lighting fixtures um, in the interior as well. So and that drives home value. I know people always laugh whenever they go through our factory. We have a uh a powder line operation, which involves a very large gas-fired power or a oven, uh, which is very expensive to fire up. So off in the corner, we have a 1972 Harvest Gold range that we got from someplace that we use for baking little test batches and things. But uh, the Harvest Gold in that case still still is around. So anyway. <laughs> so... I, I uh, understand that you've written a couple of books on color theory. Um, can you share a little bit about those books and uh, tell us what someone may learn from them or why they may want to seek them out? Well, one of those is actually a textbook, 
And uh, that is actually part of an educational program that I co-wrote with a wonderful uh, colleague, friend, um, and the owner of Sensational Color, um, Miss Kate Smith. And we developed a program that we had registered through IDCEC. I don't know if you guys are familiar with IDCEC. No. It's the Interior Design Continuing Education Council. Okay. And it's the um, certifiers who stamp if your presentation or your educational program is worthy of CEUs. Um, and then we also did this with AIA uh, for the architects. And so we developed a program, um, an educational six-week program that was um, a color consultant certification. And we have interior programs, and, and Kate actually now has an exterior program that she wrote um, after we wrote the interior program, she went on to actually write an exterior program as well um, to uh, give the kind of uh, guidelines and the education behind choosing colors for um, exterior schemes and interior palettes. Um, so that 212-page textbook goes along with that six-week online course. Um, we used to travel around, believe it or not, uh, 2008, 9, 10, um, 11, 12-ish. So th those handful of years, we would actually travel around uh, the U.S. to the different design centers uh, like uh, ADAC in Atlanta or the San Francisco Design Center in San Francisco, California. And we would offer like a three-day crash course where you could basically get the six-week program done in three days um, and the 212 page textbook done in three days um, with us. Um, we used to offer those on site. That was a really fun time. And it was fun to get to travel and meet all these fantastic architects and interior designers that were truly interested in color because they were, you know, paying for the program, paying for the class um, and then also paying for their CEUs. So they were well invested in it. The other book is a spinoff of that, and we call it Color Confidence. It's actually available now as a PDF, an online PDF, uh, through Sensational Color, and that's called Color Confidence, um, and that is more geared towards the homeowner and helping the homeowner choose color. I'll have to check those out further. Thanks, yeah. So I think you touched on this earlier. It sounded like if an architect or a designer wants assistance with color selection, they can actually come to you folks at the Sherwin Williams Design Center, and you'll you'll help them some through that process. Am I correct? So we work work mostly at the design house with the OEMs. Um, okay. Those are traditionally, you know, who we collaborate with. Um, we have worked with some architects on some very large projects, um, like uh, you know the building of a new global headquarters for a major company. Um, or, you know, a, a large new hospital project um, or a new college campus type project. You know, those, those really big projects, we will um, you know, bring in the, the architect who is working on the exterior color specification for that. And a lot of times what we do is we, we you know, suggest to even take them to one of our labs um, and have them work, you know, directly even with our chemists. 
So we have done that while um, we do a little bit less of that um, at the design house with directly with the architects. You know, we're trying to really help to curate those color collections that the OEMs are going to present um, to the architects as well. So we create a lot of marketing collateral uh, as well for architects to help them spec color. Um, we have some really fabulous color collections um, like our Floor Pond Continuum, uh, which is a new Mica Metallic collection that we launched uh, just this year. Uh, we have the Natural Metals collection, which is mimicking beautiful metals, but with coil and extrusion uh, coatings. So um, we also try to inspire the architect that way. Yeah, I know that as a building products manufacturer, we have seen in recent months and years more and more requests for special colors, a lot of times for historical preservation projects where they really want to match something. And we have worked with Sherwin-Williams on development of some of those colors, and you folks are always fantastic to work with. I I remember a project recently out in uh, Joshua Tree National Park in uh, California, and they wanted to reproduce a Yogi Bear Jellystone Park, which had a bright orange roof on it. And it was the building that was originally there um, is still there and had been re-roofed, and they wanted to get back to that old look. And we were able to work with Sherwin-Williams in order to present them. This is the exact color, we are certain of it, that would have been on this roof originally. And their designers then toned it down tremendously, <laughs> um, it, which was the right decision because they made something that you touched on earlier. It just really blends nice with the environment uh, around the building uh, rather than this garish orange that would have looked very retro, um, but also would have really stood out. But uh, kudos to you folks for the service that you offer. And, you know, Sherwin-Williams is color. I mean, that's that's what you're known for. So uh, good stuff. So as you think about folks in construction and design industries um, who might be paying attention to Construction Disruption Podcast um, because they want to stay on the leading edge of things, um, what advice do you have for them? What things should they be paying attention uh, to? Um, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, um, check out our trends. Um, uh, you know, and, um, check out what some of the big global architect firms are doing. Um, and, you know, really, really pay attention in, within your industry, through your networking, through your, um, different organizations that you can be a member of or different conferences that you can go to, um, different podcasts that you can listen to, to get, uh, you know, just more education, more exposure, more, um, experience, um, and, you know, to kind of always be, uh, have that learning button on, have that antenna up. Um, I'm a big believer in kind of absorbing as much information as possible and then kind of refiling it in my brain and then picking out specific elements and seeing if we can connect the dots. Um, and I think, there's a lot of opportunities to be able to do that for architects through AIA, uh, for example, um, that organization. Um, there are a lot of really great trade shows out there that, uh, you know, show off 
uh, all of these different types of building products, like the you know International Builder Show, um, for example. Um, and then, of course, um, our Sherwin-Williams uh, forecast. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. We're almost to the end of our time. Um, and before we close out, though, we want to ask you if you'd like to participate in our rapid-fire questions. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to put my seatbelt on? <laughs> uh, well, maybe no. It's it's relatively painless in the end. Um, right. These are just seven questions, maybe silly, maybe serious. Just give us a quick answer, if you would. And our audience needs to understand if Kiki agrees that she's up to this challenge, um, she will have no idea what we're about to ask her. So. Want to do rapid fire? Let's try it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know I have to ask this one. Favorite color and why? I don't have a favorite color, but I do have a tendency to lean more into the dark, deep blue-green turquoises. Gee whiz, you would almost fit in on my back porch. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So, favorite TV show growing up back in 1982? <laughs> um. Ah, favorite TV show growing up. Um, I really like the Cosby show. Ah, oh, that was a good one. Really, yeah. Any any hidden talents? Um, yeah. Well, I guess it's not really necessarily so hidden, but um, I was a professional dancer and specialized in lyric jazz and danced with a lot of uh, pretty well-known musicians. Wow. wow, that's very cool. How did you happen to... To fit that. To, yeah, to fit that in with everything else. <laughs> it was my teenager and early 20s. Yeah, okay. I actually started dancing when I was three and went professional when I was about 15, 16 years old. Oh, cool. Wow. Good for you. Very neat. Um, where is your favorite place to decompress at the end of a long day? At the end of a long day, uh, maybe a long weekend, but our lake house. That's about uh, two and a half, three hours north of Minneapolis here. Very nice. Beautiful area. Have you ever played a musical instrument? And if so, what? Yes, not well. Um, maybe the recorder. Um, <laughs> Everyone <laughs> actually, remembers that. My fiance um, owns a drum company. He's a, a per professional percussionist and uh, he uh, builds and designs his own line of cajon drums. His company is Empowered Percussion. Um, so sometimes I have to, I am forced to play the drum. <laughs> oh, very cool. And Seth is writing down the name over here. He's got to check that out. He's a, a bit of a musician. We, we need a better sounding cajon at church. So yeah, I'm going to look it up. There we go. He builds a lot of cajons for churches. Sure. Yes. I bet. He just sold a cajon, maybe. Good <laughs> deal. Um, least favorite word. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. I can tell you that my favorite word is favorite. Oh, there you go. Oh, I love that. My favorite cool. word is favorite. My least favorite word. Hmm. That's a tough one. It works. That's fine. <laughs> knowing, your, knowing your favorite word is good. We, we can imagine your least favorite. Yeah, I'm thinking dull, bland, yeah. non-committal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the opposite of color. So what is that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Three adjectives to describe yourself. And this is our last one, by the way. Well, if we're actually going by my um, my birthday, what do they call it? The birthday book astrology, 
My three words are outgoing, colorful, and trendsetter. And that is no lie. January 21st of the year that I was born in the birthday book um, wow. for under Aquarius. Those are the three words. And that's been your life. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that has been my life. That's incredible. Hey, this has been great. It's been a real pleasure to visit with you, and we appreciate your time. Um, is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with our listeners? I, I just, um, you know, want to say thank you for this opportunity. Um, this has been uh, very, very fun. Um, the one thing I didn't get to, to say is we have a design house um, Instagram. Uh, oh, wow. so jump on over to SW industrial design or, um, SW coil coatings, um, and follow us on Instagram. Very neat. So what will we find there? Inspiration, uh, new product and color launches. Um, a lot of talk about color and a lot of talk about trends. I'm going to check this Fantastic. out. Thank you. If someone wanted to contact you, how would they best uh, go about doing that? designhouse.sherwin.com. Very good. Yeah. And that's house H-O-U-S-E, I assume. It is. Because we had a guest a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and his was H-A-U-S for house. So uh, nice. De designhouse.sherwin.com, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. Well, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. We've enjoyed uh, visiting with you and learned a lot, and I'm sure that our listeners and viewers uh, will enjoy it as well. Thank you. I really enjoyed that talking with Kiki. She uh very interesting and she was kind of exactly like I expected. I mean, you expect someone that's into color and and stuff to be this very passionate person. So uh yeah, colorful personality to match the exactly, color passion. Exactly. Uh, even though my jokes were a little bit uh hit missed the mark, I think, but it's probably all in the delivery. It's been a long day. Um anyway, you know, it, it was interesting, though, to think about what goes into color design uh, and color choice and creating a color. I mean, you don't think that much about creating a color. I mean, you go to a paint store and you pick up, but someone had to create all of those. And it's interesting when you think about, um, you know, the chemical, the chemistry of them and what goes into making them durable and, and of course, limitations that there might be for certain applications. Um, but you could tell that she fully understands the impact that color around us has, you know, as occupants in a building. And, you know, we touched on how the color on the outside of a building can affect the desirability and the value of that structure. Um, but really, really neat stuff, I thought. Yeah, hearing all the macro and mega elements that she is taking into consideration uh, you know, not on my radar at all when my wife was talking to me about what color our, the inside of our house should be. Um, but yeah, it was interesting, very interesting hearing all that goes into it. We were sitting here talking immediately afterwards of how do we implement that more into our business and being playing more on the front end, that, that initial throw of the boomerang where she is versus we're getting customer requests for colors that we don't have. And that's on the back end. And by the time we could ever adjust, it, it's swinging around again. So uh, how do we take this and, and be better for it? 
Yeah, that'll be, it's a good challenge for us. And love to go up and visit her sometime in, in their design house and uh, get some inspiration there and kind of check out some of those uh, resources she gave to us as well. And and I have to say, um, I don't know if, if you haven't seen Evergreen Fog yet, you got to check out that color because uh, it truly is just an incredibly comfortable color. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the funny thing is, had I seen that color, let's say, 20 years ago, it probably would have seemed, oh, that's kind of dull. Um, but yet, you know, it's just interesting how those trends and how we are, uh, culture, we are shaped uh, by uh, those trends and by colors and things. So pretty fascinating. I enjoyed it. Could have talked to her a lot longer. We'll have to have her back. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Color Maven and Sherwin-Williams guru, Kiki Redhead. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have lots of other great guests on tap in coming episodes. Um, And don't forget to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Until then, as we always say, change the world for someone. Make them smile. Bring them encouragement. Bring them hope. Um, All of those are some of the most powerful things that we can do to change the world literally one interaction at a time. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption.